round one completed it, mate. Will we be forgetting this one in a hurry like the coaches who are probably already planning for next week? Will the losses of the Pies, the Ds, the Dons and the Eagles resonate throughout the course of the season or will they also be forgotten in a hurry? And has anyone dared to ask precisely what bathwater tastes like? Can Richmond survive without Alex Rands, who went down on Thursday night with an ACL? Why were the Clangers the round's most available currency? And as the AFLW sets itself for a grand final showdown at the Adelaide Oval on Sunday, are we about to witness a Taylor Harris-inspired fairy tale? With me in the pod rhombus to discuss all that and more is, of course, the bald wonder, Gordon Hunter-Meredith. Welcome. So, to start you off, Gordo, talk me through your weekend of footy watching. Well, as of 8.13pm on Sunday, I had watched eight and a half games of football. Eight and a half. So, I, we're currently talking during the Fremantle game. But other than that, <laughs> I had literally watched every single game of football. So, obviously, you've watched a few replays as well to make that happen. Uh, I did watch the uh, Brisbane, or well, they were delayed slightly. So I watched the Western Bulldogs Sydney and Brisbane West Coast at the same time, and they both got like two different screens. And they both got interesting at different times, so I could t- uh, alter my focus. So I, I went to the focus on the Brisbane West Coast game early, and then went back to the West Coast uh, to the Western Bulldogs Sydney game late when it got exciting, and then went back to witness the joy that was Brisbane saying, "We're not going to be terrible this year because we're going to overreact to a round one result." And you haven't managed to actually allow your eyeballs to focus on different places. Not yet. No. Okay. So what did you physically go to? I went uh, Sunday afternoon to Melbourne and Port Adelaide. Yep. And I went this today to Gold Coast and Sid- and uh, St Kilda. My favourite, the Sunday one ten that Eddie had. It, um, is, it is the worst time. Like, no, literally, it's where you put football. Football goes to die at one ten on a Sunday. Yeah, it does. The two, they're too early. I don't understand. So Saturday at one forty five or one fifty is too early because everyone is playing football. Like majority of people are involved in some form of sport in the winter in that time slot. Do not put a time there. Double up like you do on a Saturday night and play two Twilight games and two night games. Be like the Premier League. Put your big boy pants on AFL and realise that it will not affect crowd attendance because no one turned up to that Melbourne game anyway and Melbourne were meant to be good. Now, everyone did themselves a favour because Melbourne had been <laughs> drinking their own bathwater all fucking off-season. So much bathwater. That they had this kind of gut infection that enabled them not able to play AFL properly. And so everyone did themselves a favour. And the same today. Like, I suppose no one was going to turn up to lose a Palooza 2.0, but at one tends a challenge on a Sunday. No, so I hadn't finished the morning chores. Otherwise, I would have gone. I was still mm. in the kitchen floor. It's too early. I need to get all of this stuff done before. So I went um, Thursday night, Friday night, went to the women's game at Prinny yesterday, had a day off today. But I've pretty much more or less channel flicked throughout the weekend. I missed the Melbourne game because I was at the women's game. Yeah. Um, Gold Coast, gee, that got spicy in the last quarter. Um, So it's been a, well, an interesting weekend. So we're going to launch into the talking points. So the first big one out of the weekend was Thursday night, which was really a run-of-the-mill game, a team that's probably expected to finish in the upper echelons beating a team that we think is in a development phase, which has been much the same with this encounter for two or three years. Suddenly got very spicy when Alex Rance did his ACL. In the third quarter. Did it? The game didn't get spicy. The game was done. Well, no, but it what ga- got spicy. It gave it the immediate talking point out of the night. was always going to yeah, be Yeah, it was. What happens moment, now? From the moment that it happened, it was going to be, what happens now? Can they survive? Which is the question that I am now putting to you. Can the Tigers cover Absolutely. the loss? Well, can I get the Alex, question out first? Alex Rance <laughs> is, is auxiliary. He's great. But of the big four Richmond players, who I consider to be dusty, now it's probably a big five, to be fair. So you've got Dusty and Koch in the middle, and you've got Jackie Boy and Tom Tom Lynch up front, and you've got Rance at back. Out of the big five, Rance is the easiest league replaced or has the least effect in his absence. Do you want to elaborate why specifically? I, don't, I would Because my gut feeling would be if you've got, and I'm just counter-arguing, surely you would rather lose one of the tall key forwards. Why? You've got two of them. What was the one thing we weren't very good at last year? Taking marks. Taking marks inside forward 50. Yep. 
We've got plenty of defenders, lockdown defenders, and plenty of underrated lockdown defenders that actually defend one-on-one. Rance doesn't defend one-on-one. And that was, if you if you follow Twitter, if you're on Twitter, that was all Twitter was saying all of Thursday night was, geez, if Rance gets isolated one-on-one, he's pretty average, isn't he? Oh, he gives away a lot of holding the man free kicks, doesn't he? Like he's... As a as a pure defender, which is why which is what people are saying we are losing when we lose Rance, it's not a big deal. And rebound carry, I've got plenty of players that are faster than Rance, better on foot mm. by Rance. He is for a player that will go down as why be one of the greatest defenders of all time. He is a jack of all trades, master of none. And he, I, I don't think I don't see him as that big a loss. And if he'd not been selected in the All Australian team last year, I would not have been upset about it. He's 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 a very good player, but he's not irreplaceable. No, no he's not in the top. Yeah. He's not in the top one percent of defenders in the comp. Like he, his influence on Richmond as a football team, I think, is overrated in the media. Well, now the story in the Age about this, which was Saturday, not Friday, because of the late turnaround, um, quoted two stats, and I don't actually have comparisons, but it was twenty point seven percent of Richmond's intercept marks in the last two years have been Alex Rance, twelve point seven one percent of their intercept possessions have been Alex Ranch. Now my immediate question is. What's the comparison to, say, McGovern, which I haven't been able to dig up? But my next argument is if Rance isn't there and you had another player, surely mm. they gobble up a certain percentage of those possessions. And unfortunately, we are not divided on this because I would love to try and debate you, but I can't be bothered playing devil's advocate because my opinion has always been that Rance has been uh, enhanced as a player in the last two or three years because he has Dylan Grimes, who was an exceptional shutdown. David Asprey, who's an ex- exceptional shutdown. Particularly last season, Nick Vloston became a lot better drifting into that back four. And they've also added a little bit of height by using Nathan Broad mm. as, as another player. Um, and I guess, so I'm very much of the same opinion. I think it poses a challenge. But the other thing is Ryan Garthwaite played two games last year for David Asprey and probably wouldn't have gotten dropped on form. Like if you were picking... You know, like he only got dropped because he's a tall defender and you've only got room for three, you yeah. know, your three key pillars and bad luck. So I suspect that the cover for him, he will be the cover. I think Damien Hardwick flagged that. So he played VFL on Thursday off a, an Achilles problem that he's been coming back from. I don't think Richmond will push Bolter back there because I think he's too important as the second ruck now with the new rules. And I think that will particularly be prevalent on Thursday. I think for me, the thing that I think becomes more important is Nick Vloston. So I think he now becomes a really, really key cog in the Richmond wheel. So I don't think they can afford for him to fall off because he has become another drifting back intercept mark type player that's not necessarily locked down. He kind of plays the Rance role without really being Rance. Mm. Um, but I, I think that the other advantage, and this was kind of pointed out, like Bob Murphy when he did his ACL did it in round three. So it gives you much of the year to, to work out how you're going to accommodate the extra. So in terms of developing a system, if they can't get it right with three, you know, a new combination of defenders over a 23-round season, they're never going to get it right. Yeah. And I'm, I think that when you look at a back six and you kind of read about how they functioned, shout-outs to Conrad, um, I think you get less concerned because it does function as a system. Yeah, absolutely. Of all, Yeah, I think – Especially in this era of AFL we're currently in, defense is the, is is usually the next soldier up. Look at look at a lot of teams where they get people in via free agency via the draft is like they really go for pure talent that is maybe a bit raw that we can kind of coach into being a top level player early in the draft and go you're gonna you gotta kick us goals because goals are going by the wayside at the moment. We need to try and find them, but we can t- we can teach any player to go back and play defense. And you see that with. Well, not McDonald went the other way, but more coming back. The difference with playing behind the ball, and my old man always said this because I was a terrible footballer, but if you play behind the ball, your opponent takes you to where it's going to be. Hmm. So, there, yes, there is an element of reading it, but having played a sport like hockey, it's very and played in goal in hockey, it's very easy to read patterns that other people are creating. You're not a creator in that position. No, you're an analyst. You're yeah. just an analyst reading what other people do, and I think it's a much easier void to fill. And you saw that with Collingwood last year, who had in- injuries to key defenders, injuries to Jeremy Howe, and I think did an exceptional job of plugging those holes. So I think I probably agree with you. The, pr- the premise that Richmond have never had a, an injury to a key player, they haven't had a long-term injury, but Dusty's corky pre Prelim was significant, I think, when you look at the way the season panned out. I'm yeah, not saying, and then, and then they lost. Yeah, I'm not saying they haven't had uh, people. The argument they've never had an injury is a bit doesn't stick with me. No, their argument is they've won. They won that premiership 
league that won the premiership because they had very few injuries. That's the argument. Yeah. Last and, and, year's a bit different. Yeah, and we didn't win the grand final, did we? No, and Rioli missed, what, 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, there was there was injuries, and there has been injuries. Um, alas, it is what it is. Um, I'm sure people will still think that Richmond are the luckiest team in the world. Um, so the second question, and this is again emerging out of Thursday night, is about our season opener. Do you have a theory? And I know this is a very typical pod question that probably gets asked every year. But you probably sat there about 15 minutes into the game going, maybe we do need to look at this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you needed to have like it as a scheduled game, like this is going to be the same game every year, I would have a grand final replay in round one. Now, the danger with that is people aren't taking round one seriously anymore. Four teams from last year played well into their preseason time, which means they're coming back four weeks later than every other team in the comp. And so... They're not going to be that good, and they haven't been that good. The teams we thought were going to dominate haven't played to the capability, anywhere near the capability that we think they're going to be playing at in 2019. So then that's a dangerous one. Like if we played West Coast Collingwood based on the two performances they put up, that game would be arguably worse than what we got on Thursday night. So then who do you play? So if you want to just stick with a traditional one and go, it's going to be at the MCG, it's going to be on a Thursday night, which is a harder game to sell out in, in Melbourne. But if we know it's Richmond and Carlton, then we're going to get close to 85-plus I think we got eighty six, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, so it makes makes financial sense. It may it makes it easier to like to work your fixtures around. I understand why they do it. It's just that at this stage, every year it's going to be an average game. I th- I would go grand final rematch at the home of the premier because then you add the spice of the unfurling of the flag in front of the team that you know came runner up. I think there's a little bit to that. Yeah, well, that no, would that I'd, would be I'd what I would that. go with. But if you're going to go with the Melbourne, I would just. Give yourself the flexibility to pick the two informed Melbourne teams. So but you that, don't know who's informed because it's round one. That's the problem. But I would, I mean, if you're going How on, many tips did you get this well, week? But yeah, go on the last, well, don't ask me about my tips. No, I'm no, like, so you're going to say go on last year's, if you went on but, last but year's I would, ladder, yeah. you only get two But I would still make nine. that game based on last. If it's Richmond Collingwood, it's probably more competitive. Uh, I w- that's what I would have gone with if you were going with the Melbourne model. Okay. But I would, I'm firm, the NRL does grand final rematch, don't they? Not, not in day one, no. Not anymore. Okay. Well, I would – have they not in the past? No. Because – and this is the – the reason it's baffling that we don't is we go with – like, so last year the grand final rematch was round two. This year it's round three. Mm-hmm. So it's in the AFL's mind to make that an early season agenda item. I think the year before that it was round two. So, like, just open with it, I would I would say. Yeah. There's Unf- an argument to be had there. And do you – what do you stir in Collingwood if they have to watch West Coast unveil a flag? And it – that because, like – I know that we said, and Casey said, there's not a lot of like big ups to the Eagles compared to it being a Melbourne club, but there's still a, like, a lot of looking back for the Premier at this time of year. So if you throw all of that bathwater drinking and then you put the reigning Premier on the opposite, opposite end of the field, I just can't imagine that you don't stir something. Yeah, potentially. But also I think clubs are getting smarter at being like, it's round one. Like We don't want you to do it. If possible, let's just get through with no injuries. And if we lose, we lose. That's That has been my vibe for all of this weekend so far. Mm, and that's the next question. So a very nice little segue. So you put this in there. Do the coaches even care about round one? Do you want to talk me through your ideas here? Well, so from a sports science and from a coaching point of view and because of our injury management point of view, the season's too long. So for a, for a highly impactful, full of contact, quite physically dangerous sport that AFL is, it's too long. 22 games for each team is too many. And so you probably want to just play every team once. That would be the perfect draw in terms of physicality and getting a whole list through the season and having the best list available to play funnels when it actually matters in inverted commas. So instead we, we played 22 games, so we've got an extra five games for no reason. So it feels like over the last couple of seasons that teams that I think they're going to, that have judged themselves at being in the pointy end of the, of the, of the uh, year come finals time, they go, you know what, we're going to just cruise in. We're going to manage workloads. We're going to, we're going to keep people really fresh in the off-season. Like how, many, how many comments have there been about star players? Like John Longmire came out today, this morning, and said, oh, buddy needed the run. He needed the run. In round one. That's what you used to hear with JLT. Like it used to be yeah. better for the run and now we're seeing that. Now in round on. one. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that, and that you sort of said this, like Friday night in particular was a stinker 
for two teams that are fairly well built, that was an absolutely abhorrent game of football. Like, and that's the thing that I and everyone sort of at this point was talking about. Oh, how do the tactics roll? And the thing I learned this weekend is if you're not clean with the footy, you're just never going to win, no matter what stage of the year it is. And that, like, some of the possess- like, just some of the skills were downright ridiculous. Um, I think the the fr- uh, the Friday night game ended with that perfect point where Jeremy Howe managed to lace out Patrick Dangerfield like he meant to hit him, and then Dangerfield kind of played into the comedy because he then went back with a six point lead and kicked a point, which kind of just made it even funnier because everyone was ballsing up but it was essentially the team that balls up less. I do think that if you are – and the media will build up the results for Collingwood and West Coast and the Demons and Essendon. And Ess- Essendon's in particular was – No, Melbourne's in particular. You don't think Essendon's? Essendon have already been overrated. They were overrated last year. They're not near the mark, in my opinion. Mm. They have misjudged their list and have gone back to the – to the free agency well pool and decided to try and top up because I think, oh, we didn't play finals last year, but uh, we can definitely try and make top four this year with a couple of more top ups. That's 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 not logical thing. But even then there's Melbourne, always a, there is a flyer. Melbourne, there's always a flyer from outside the eight into the four. Yeah, but they're not them. It's not them. All right, cool. Melbourne Well Melbourne can, yeah. Melbourne think that they if they had done things slightly differently in that prelim last year, they should be playing in a grand final last year in 2018 and winning it against Collingwood. But they got... That's what they know. I know. They got they got but, absolutely panned. But Dad made this point and to the me. Way they, they lost they, by, like, what, 80 points? No, 60 points. But they lost it, by 10 goals. How many was it at, like, the end of the first quarter? Uh, that was a lot. It was over before it started. Correct. They flew over there and they may as well just got back on the plane and flown back. But, so you have that list that's proven to be able to go deep into finals and you turn up and you do that in round one. And the only problem is is that you have, whether or not you believe in narrative, I still believe that footballers have ears and have eyes that function. So as much as they say we don't read it, we don't listen to it, they live in Melbourne. It is basically impossible not to bump into a barista, to bump into a, a green juice, like not bumping into a bar because they're definitely not drinking anymore. <laughs> but they're going, they're going somewhere and somebody are saying, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And if even they don't know about if they don't know you're a Melbourne footballer, it'd be even worse saying, oh, man, I just watched the footy on the weekend. How bad at Melbourne? Oh, that was, that was drinking their bathwater. Oh, terrible. Or you accidentally turn on the t- uh, taxi, turn on the radio in your car. Or you accidentally turn on the TV and it's, and it's Robert being like, nah, 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 they've just been terrible. Oh, Melbourne, what are you doing? That's a very David Hughes impersonation of Robert. That's okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Like that was that was for mine still the worst performance of the weekend. Yeah, but I think the coaches know that you can afford to lose six or seven games and make the four. And so while but you can't lose like that, they were listless. They led, they blew up a lead at quarter time to get absolutely thumped. I mean, I didn't watch from the it, third so. minute of the third quarter. They kicked one behind. Wow. Yes. So they basically went two for a team quarters. for a team that wants to be top four against a team that had their coach in the hot seat coming into this season. So if that is your argument for Melbourne, and I'm trying to say here that it will all be okay because you can afford to lose seven games and still make the four, and you clearly don't feel like that with Melbourne, how do you feel about Collingwood and the West Coast? Well, West Coast, I kind of had a funny feeling that Brisbane... So did I. That Brisbane, well, Brisbane, Brisbane going to be good this year. Everyone's kind of said that. You look at their list, you look at their plays, look at the skill, you look at who's coaching them, you see, look at who their experienced players are, and you go, this team has all the pieces that they could definitely challenge teams, and if West Coast aren't at their best, then they could get beaten, and they did. And they're still three down. And it's also the longest trip in professional sports. Yeah, and so I did say, this is a little, this is such a head wobble, sorry. Um, last week that I thought the Gabba would become a fortress. Yes. Like it would become a very tough road trip again, and I think you're seeing that, and I think that will continue throughout the year. I know that West, from a West Coast perspective, you're missing – who are they missing? Gaff, Nick Nat, and there was one other sign- – oh, Willie Rioli didn't play, but there was one that was more significant than that, and I can't for the life of me think about who it was. But anyway, uh, oh, Kennedy, that's the one. I'm so glad just Casey's that, not here. Just that bloke. Just that bloke. Um, multiple winning Coleman. So Everest. for them, for them, I think it's a much bigger deal than Mel- uh, much. I think for Melbourne, it's a much bigger deal than West Coast because they didn't have that many outs. They yeah. had no excuses. It's a home, fu- it's a home ground advantage in round one. And you want to prove to your supporters, come follow us on this journey again because we're going to finally take you there. Like that's mm. their narrative. And as much as they, it's all right to lose in round one. It's okay. It's just not all right to just get absolutely pumped. So Essendon supporters are now off. They're, they're tempering their expectations well down now. 
even Collingwood supporters are like, oh, that's not what we wanted. And if people are already willing to say that we don't finish outside the four, and then we, then we do that on our first game. No one's no one who has the ability to change any of these things, like coaches and players and support stuff, are overreacting. But it's more of you want that vibe to continue on. You don't want, and the same for the teams in the bottom. Like if like Carlton did okay in those middle two quarters against Richmond, so it sells the story that yeah, we are actually good enough to for, make it worthwhile for you to turn up. Mm. And that has to be part of that has to be part of it because yeah. if you're getting Games where you're only playing to 20,000 at the MCG, you're only playing to 15,000 at the Gabba, then it makes it very hard to kind of sell the story internally when you go, no, we're going all right, guys, we're going all right. Well, no one else thinks we are. I know seven people here think we are, but the crowdsourcing information analytics is suggesting that uh, it's not happening. Well, the interesting thing for Collingwood and West Coast is Collingwood now play Richmond next week and then they play West Coast. So one of these teams mathematically is probably going to be behind the ledger. Mm. Um, at one and two. So I think they're both still in a precarious position. The biggest thing for Collingwood, and I sort of thought this on the night, like they were pretty good in the first half. I say pretty good. They were clearly the better team in the first half when Mason Cox was taking marks and competing. When he dropped out of the game in the second half, it really, really cost them. And the second one was Dugowie, who I think you'd probably use the he'll be better for the run with him as well. But he was really, really ordinary. So I feel like for Collingwood, their midfield is is a given. You tick that box, they're going to perform. But for them to be, I think, really, really competitive and to make the form and do what they did last year, they have to have Cox and Dugowie playing like they were at the back end of the year and actually turning games turning games on their head. And I, I think that that's what you got for them to beat Richmond. And my question is, how repeatable is that going to be across the year? That would That's my question for them. Is their forward line going to function at its optimum enough? Yeah, that one's hard to tell, and I don't think you can expect teams to repeat prelim performances. No, because the other like, thing those is, things are one-offs, and, no, they, sh- and, I, they, and they should be expected to be They didn't to be fumble one-offs. for three and a half quarters. Hmm. It was obscene. So, again, and that's also at a point at the end of the year where everyone is so polished that that's, that's football at that point, whereas here it was completely – it was like watching a different game. Probably the little final footnote was that this will be the – Lowest scoring opening round since 1966 or 1965. Props to Sir Swamp Thing for that little stat. So I don't know. I feel like uh, that means and shows that 666 is no substitute for poor skills. <laughs> it's such a strange rule change to try and influence scoring. Because it just... It, it, only, it only happens when you kick a goal. So it only will take long-term and on-flowing effects within a game if there are already goals kicked so that you can set up in 6-6-6. But if teams aren't kicking goals, then you don't set up in 6-6-6 and therefore you don't use the rule so it cannot have an effect. So does it just make the high-scoring games higher scoring, but it doesn't – does it just make the um, – just what? makes the blowouts does, bigger, I think. Yeah, does it just make the bell curve bigger is what I'm trying to get with because we always talk about bell curves. Yeah, you might have a oh, – In the pod rhombus. It makes, it makes the upper limit of the bell curve – Longer. It has, it has a longer head. All right, well, let's get out of way from the bell curve terminology and into the loser-leaves-town match. I'm a little bit annoyed that I didn't go because this was nearly the game of the round and you were there. I was there. And when I got there very early on, I was very concerned for my use of time because the first quarter was some of the worst footy I have ever seen in person. And I've seen... <laughs> like, Vaffer teams would have played better than that. I don't know. I don't know what happened... It's just that, like, maybe they were intensely nervous because they had taken upon themselves to be like, this is the game we must win. Like, if we don't win this game, we won't win the game for the rest of the year. <laughs> it's pretty tough round one, isn't it? <laughs> it is pretty tough. <laughs> do they play? They don't play each other again, do they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Um, Let's hope for us all. But it really showed to me examples of how the AFL is becoming a bit more like the Premier League. Like, these two sides are so far behind most of the teams in the competition. Like, just the way I had no composure. Like, Nathan Jones got absolutely lambasted on, on television for dropping that mark and he had an open mark and then fumbled it and then kicked it to Watson the goal square. And that was like, oh, that's, a, that's abhorrent. That's not up to AFL standard. That kind of just dropping an open chest mark in general play happened at least half a dozen times in this game. I think it happened half a dozen times on Friday though as well. And it's just such a strange thing to see at an AFL game. And I don't. Th- I think this. Yeah, this round one's definitely been lower than most. The upside to this, though, is you could say, "Do you just want excitement 
If you want an excitement, then the last 10 minutes of this game was amazing. Because the old handy point. A handy point came out, but also it was just an intensity to it that was like, this means something. It wasn't, again, like the Premier League, like if you lose this game, you will finish last. And like that's almost an advantage nowadays in a draft system. So it didn't have the same weight as being relegated from a competition. But it definitely felt like if you lose this game to this team, you are in for a very, very long season. And the St Kilda fans felt that. Like they celebrated the St Kilda fans and even the St Kilda players celebrated that one-point win like it was a little bit funnels-esque, like it was a very important win, which is concerning for the club because it's round one. So A, all the coaches' cliches suggest that round one wins don't matter. But B, it's against Gold Coast who are kind of being predicted to win less than three games of the year. So that's that's a deeply concerning place for St Kilda. I'm also just very sad because after the Gold Coast uh, off-season that they've had, I was really wanting the Suns to win. I was so on the Suns for the... I was on the Anthony Miles train. Yeah. That ex-Richmond, go to another club, do a Sam Lloyd, kick a goal late, win the game. <laughs> but it didn't happen. Although Snipper was one of the best on ground, hmm. which is an interesting test case in itself because he played one game at Richmond last year. Was probably... I mean, he was in there starting three for a number of the centre bounces, named in the middle. Um, he'll probably play every game for the Suns this year. And that kind of proves that Premier League like that Premier League comparison there is that you see players will get taken as youngsters to the one, one of the big six and then they'll go get farmed out to one of the smaller clubs and be like, do you want to be on the bench for us or do you want to play regular minutes for them? Yep. Up to you. Because mm. we, we have a spot for you and we need you in our depth. And so do the big – the teams that are in the top six in the AFL need those depth players because it's like if we get an injury – our funnels are ruined if we cannot replace one of our 22 with a person who's very near to that skill level. Whereas Gold Coast need those players who can't even get a game for the Richmonds and the Collingwoods and the West Coasts. Yeah, and they took Corey Ellis as well. Yeah. And that was a bit of a bit of an off-season. I know it was an off-season theme that was off-spoken about was a few of the Richmond fringe players moving off. Lloyd moved off. Stengel moved off. And they're all players. I mean, Lloyd and Miles were routinely getting mid-40s in the VFL for mm. two years and not being able to get a game. So it's completely understandable why they left. Um, I think I'd still rather be Gold Coast than St Kilda. Well, Gold Coast has all the upside. Everyone thinks they're going to win less than three games. Everyone's making they're, – they're this year's north, getting made the, the jokes, you're off to Tassie, you're off to Tassie. St Kilda are in trouble. And I don't think the Suns are off to Tassie. If you're anything, if you read Caroline Wilson's piece in the age yesterday about – the journey to actually getting a Tassie team, which looks more and more likely. Mm. So I don't know if we're going to get the the North Hobart Tasmanian Devils, Gold Coast Devil Suns. Can you have a Devil Sun? I think a you devilish can. Sun, definitely. Because I mean, it's annoying. Because I'd quite like we don't have an extinct like named team. A team we don't have a team in the AFL named after an extinct creature, do we? No. Well, so the Tasmanian Tigers could have been the first, but clearly we've got Richmond, so that's buggered it for everyone. Anyway, that's a little JB tangent. Also, the, de- the Devil's Son sounds a lot like a Nick Cave song. The Devil's Son? It sounds a lot like the sort of thing my mother would say about me. Oh, very <laughs> shocking. <laughs> the Devil's Son. So Saturday afternoon, AFL Women's at Princess Park. We have a we have a grand final, and the grand final is going to be Adelaide versus Carlton at Adelaide Oval next Sunday at one o'clock. So that started off with a oh, stirring performance, really, from Carlton, led by Taylor Harris, who was, of course, the talk of the week. So she clunked several huge pack marks. She was everywhere. So I was photographing this game, and when I went through the photos, pretty much every fourth one was of Taylor Harris doing something sick. Um, they were brilliant, Carlton, and I think. I did hear some certain AFL executives talking some time in the second quarter that this was a reason that people were too quick to knock conferences. I kind of, I do think still the reverse. And if you look at the result that we that, had. That take from those executives that should not be named is an exploit of statistical bias. How does that, like, it doesn't prove anything. How many games they played this year? Mm, like, what, seven? Yes. And then finals. This, so, is, this is the eighth game that you can go, oh, Carlton are this good or not this good and Fremantle are this good or not this good. It's not enough games. Small sample size. It's too small. You can't tell. It's just luck now. And it's, that's what it was shown. Like you base it off the small sample size and Carlton should be in this game. It should have been more like the Adelaide game today where Geelong kicked one goal. Well, and they kicked a goal with four minutes to go for yes. the lowest ever AFL women's score, which was fundamentally 
oh, just scary. It was eleven seven seventy three to one one seven, a sixty six point win. So when those two executives that shall not be named say, "Oh, well, then they all just jumped on the conferences too early," then we go, "Yeah, by a day." And it was also, I mean, it was a little bit of me being in the right place at the right time and looking up and realising who was stood near me at the right moment. But yeah, I mean, I think that the weekend really just reinforced that because the flip side of this is I thought a, this is a Carlton team that's got it right at the right time. So they've started playing some really good footy the last three weeks. Yes, they've snuck in because the conferences and they would have finished fifth on an ordinary ladder. So they would have just missed out. But the conference system does them a disservice, and we've already flagged this on the pod, because people now, if they win it, are going, oh, well, they didn't deserve to be there. Hmm. And that's not really fair for the players who it's, – it's not their fault. It's not Daniel Harford, their coach's fault. And all of those people did, I thought, an exceptional job on Saturday. Darcy Vessio stood up. Um, the Hosking twins were really, really good. Um, there was – I guess though, that core group of players that Carlton have had from – well, not Taylor Harris, but had from the start stood up and played some really, really good footy. And Frio just didn't turn up. And then the flip side of this, if you really want to be a, you know, rain on the fairy tale, is that this was essentially second playing an away home final. Sorry, an away an away home final. Is that a is that a thing? Second playing an away final against fifth. If you took out the conference system, yes, absolutely. And so you, I just kind of walked away from this feeling like, cool, really good game of footy. How amazing is Taylor Harris? Um, some of the performances were great, but you kind of were just like, well, I just feel like everyone's been shafted here. Like the whole competition has been shut, and especially in it'd be, I would be less annoyed if it was an AFL situation where fifth got the home game for some reason because they're so used to traveling because they are full time professional athletes. They travel all the time, every second week. Most if you play, if you're like a free man, you're going interstate every second week, so you're used to it. This is not the situation. This season is literally nine weeks long. They are not used to traveling. They are not used to being in uh, unfamiliar environments. And if you're not used to that, it has a massive impact on your performance and your preparation, which we probably saw today. And if you go back through the stats of AFLW games, the if you had to travel interstate as the away team, then that's going to be have a massive impact on your chances of winning. Which is kind of why, or a, it's so remarkable Adelaide gets has been so successful, but also why they beat up on teams so heavily in Adelaide. So. I'd, I wouldn't expect anything else but a pretty convincing Adelaide win next week if they're playing in Adelaide Oval. Yeah, and they got a pretty good crowd in today, which was good. And I do like the fact that this will be at Adelaide Oval because it's really – I think – what happened with the, the first grand final wasn't. It was in Brisbane because mm. Brisbane finished top. So it wasn't at Adelaide Oval. But at least they can't win – sorry, they can't win if they lose about having to come to Melbourne for the grand final. I'm kind of happy about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I just – that point, you know, it just felt like everyone was slightly a loser. Um, out of that, um, which is a shame because there was some very, very clear and poignant emotion on the faces of a lot of Carlton supporters and Carlton people um, who have kind of been there and really struggled for the first two seasons of AFLW. So a lot of reward for hard work. And I was particularly amazed in the context of the week that, yeah, Taylor Harris was able to play as well as she she did. She was terrific. Um after what can only be – it's one thing to be an AFLW player. It's another to have an entire national conversation going on around you, which happens so scarcely for the right reasons. And in the end, um, this conversation that was had was really for all the wrong reasons. And that brings us to our people's question, which is about social media trolling. So big shout-outs to Casey Simons, who wrote about this for The Guardian, which was received bloody well. Um, Internationally, she is, to use a, a different JB's moniker, she is global and trending. Do I, when have I ever said that? No, a different JB. Uh, James Brayshaw. For sure. Oh, so when you said today, you put a message on the group like, this is why everyone hates JB. And I was just like, <laughs> I was sat there in bed. You, are, like, you are just like JB. I was like, what you have are I just done? like James Brayshaw. It's all about me. That's, like, that's what have I done? Motto. What did I do to annoy you? So probably the most poignant piece was that uh, this trolling really extended to Cecilia McIntosh. Um, who obviously played her last game for Collingwood Olympian, um, Commonwealth Games medalist, and was essentially um, sledged by an ex-AFLM player, believe it or not, um, because the short season uh, can't have taken much effect on her, was what he was commenting on the piece with. I won't read the comments about the Taylor Harris photo, um, but I was kind of really interested in, and you flagged this with me, a tweet by Annie Nolan that uh, questioned why this was the moment um, and I wanted to pick your brain about why this was, in fact, the moment. 
I feel like it's multiple things. I feel like people are becoming more used to AFLW as a competition and more accepting that it's a, a proper thing. It's not a gimmick. It's not an AFL marketing thing. It's people wanting to play football, having a red hog crack, getting a position to be a, a semi-professional semi athlete at the moment, hopefully professional in the future, and that they deserve respect. And so I think after a while people are just like, you wouldn't say this about anyone else. Why are you saying this? That's part of it. Part of it is Taylor Harris has a huge profile in comparison to other AFL football, AFLW footballers or even AFL footballers, really. And so we, we, the collective, we know who she is. And so when it happens and we can go, oh, no, I know I can kind of relate. Here's my instant reaction. Whereas with other athletes, it's a bit harder because I don't think many people, unless you were a, a follower of the AFLW Pies team or a really avid follower of AFLW, you may or may not have known who Cecilia McIntosh is. And so when that happens, it's very it's hard to get that group reaction automatically. Yep. It can happen over time, but it wouldn't be as automatic as the Taylor Harris one yep. was. Is that a problem, which is part of the part of the conversation that happened in a subsection of Twitter saying, well, if you defend one, why don't you defend them all? Well, I think so that, that exposure, like you can't stand up for the problems you don't know exist. And so the great masses probably just go, well, I know who Taylor Harris is. I know mm. this is unacceptable. We agree that it shouldn't have been, the photo should have been taken down. We can act on this because this is something we can literally do right now. We can, we can all put the photo back up. Yeah. So that, that's why I think it had such a massive, it is a melting pot of situations that allows this to happen. And I think that's a good thing. And the commentary around saying, well, if you don't, if you do it for Taylor, but not for anyone else, then you've let yourself down is, is true, but also slightly unfair in the sense that it's very hard to do that. Like it's very hard to get a, a massive group reaction to every problem. And so you could say, you could almost celebrate this and some people have probably over, like too much saying, oh, this is a massive watershed moment. How great are we? Which is a weird take to take. It's like, no, no, we probably should have done this ages ago. We should just go, good, it's happened. Now let's make sure it happens for every other one, every other person that suffers this in injustice. Yeah, I mean, I do think one of her points, Annie, Annie Nolan, Uncanny Annie, you should give her a follow. She's a, a very good thinker. Um, was that there was no similar public opinion behind uh, Hannah Mouncey when that whole charade, charade went down. I, I sort of thought it was interesting that some of the original comments did have a homophobic, transphobic element to them, in particularly the transphobic element. I won't repeat what the phrase was, but... That was something that was breached. But for me, yeah, for me, I think that you had the fact that you had something that was easy to share with an easily identifiable figure was part of the reason that this caught on in the manner that it did. But particularly, I think the fact that it was a photo was really, really important because people were then just able to on share the photo. I've probably seen that photo so many times. The Herald Sun published it as a poster, um, which I thought was brilliant. Um, props to Michael Wilson from AFL Photos for actually taking it in the first place. Um, but, yeah, I think that all of those factors play into why this was the moment. That this didn't happen earlier in the year or in previous seasons uh, staggers me. Uh, Kirby Fenwick, I think, wrote about this for The Guardian after maybe two rounds about the need for the AFL and similar organisations to moderate the comments on their social media, which is not that hard to do. And even since this, probably one of the... Um, most frustrating comments was from Gil, who kind of said that, oh, when we have that sort of public response, maybe we don't need the moderation. I've paraphrased him there. But essentially it was sort of questioning whether that would actually happen, which, I mean, I think that has to just be a no-brainer. And I'm not just saying for, like, that should be the same if someone's commenting on a photo of Jack Watts Especially going, you're when a peanut, you're the worst one, number one draft pick ever. Like, just sort it out. You've got enough money to employ people to do moderation and there are settings that allow you to do it with relative ease. Hmm. And it's not – a lot of the time this isn't honest feedback. The Fox Footy Coaches Series uh, uncovered – Nathan Buckley talked about how in, the, like in his day and, and before his day when he was playing that you wouldn't get like much feedback from the crowd. Either you'd be at the game or you hear booze, but it's, it's an 80,000 mass noise, so it's not one individual. Yep. And then if you were at the pub or down at the cafe – someone might have the bravery to come up to you and be like, nah, Bucks, you're you bloody pathetic on the weekend. And in which case you usually would go, yeah, cool, all right, you had the guts to come up to me and tell me to my face, I disagree or I agree, I wasn't telling my best, but whatever. But you don't get a situation where 80,000 people get to go and 
message you directly and say you're no good without having the bravery to come and tell you to your face. And in many of the cases, they're not doing it because they actually think you're no good. They're just doing it because they want to rise or they want a reaction or they make them feel bigger or more powerful. All the other things that bullies do because they're bullies. And so when the AFL comes in and goes, oh, no, well, the, the public will moderate themselves. Well, no, they won't. Like social media has been out for about, you know, en masse for about 15 years and there have been many studies and we've just naturally seen it happen that trolling and bullying and online bullying and abuse is real and it's a problem and it's not going away. And so if you have the power... Well, not me have had the power. AFL have the responsibility to look after their employees, which players mm. are. Every player yeah. is an employee of the AFL and they should do their due diligence in protecting them from what is essentially abuse. And I, yeah, I mean, there was a, the one with Eddie Betts a few weeks ago as well, which is a bit different because it was on his own platform, which makes it a little bit harder to moderate, although you can still take steps to identify the offender. Um, but yeah, I just think that all of that stuff needs to happen no matter what the space. But the, I mean, the initial handling of this from... 7AFL was terrible, and that's kind of what Casey wrote. Like, taking the photo down was the worst possible response because it erases women's sport from the narrative, which is what people making the sort of comments that were made want, ultimately, is they want to discredit an entire league. And as someone sort of tweeted, like, there's probably been, you know, 15 people snap hamstrings off the bone trying to impersonate Taylor Harris kicking that ball in the manner that she did, and that's something that... um, should be celebrated and I think there was a nice montage done of all the different photos of Taylor Harris kicks since the days of the exhibition game that's one of the most iconic images and it's not just that image that will probably come to be a really iconic image but there's several of them and that has been one of the biggest images of AFL women's from the very beginning when she was playing for Melbourne in exhibition games and and even by extension there's been many other side-by-side comparisons with other footballers similar kicks over the history of, of football and so like, one of the most similar ones is E.J. Witten. Like mm. E.J. Witten's kicking style and Tyler Harris' kicking style is very, very similar. And like there's no way that E.J. Witten ever got like lambasted in the media for, for, for no reason. And so you, you see that and you, like, when you put those side by side and you go, here is a well-celebrated legend of AFL history and here is an absolute legend of AFLW and one got smashed and one didn't, then that just kind of proves the point that like something needs to be done. Part two of the people's question, who are redemption stories for? Was was a question put in this agenda by you, so I'm going to handball it because I kind of want you to explain what was going through that bald skull of yours. So a lot of the commentary around the, the, the Carlton win was like, oh, this is a great day for Taylor Harris. Like she played better because she was abused so online. Is that, is that redemption? Can you redeem yourself when you haven't done anything wrong? Well, no, it's not. It's like, so it's redemption in the sense of like, or a comeback or like a moral victory. It was or, a, for me, it was a backs to the wall. Yeah. Like fight your way out, which like is very, ta- very Taylor Harris because she's actually a boxer. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, like a, it's like a Rocky moment. Like we, like we, like do we actually, when we read these Rocky storylines in the newspaper, is that, Who's that for? Is it for the players? Is it for the club? Is it for us? Is it for, is it for no one? Is it just an overused cliche? We saw the same thing with Jack Watts in the Port Adelaide Melbourne game. And so straight after the game, it's like, let's go to Jack Watts. And like, I get it, but also it's, especially in these team sports where everything about, everything towards the players is being coached to them is that you are one of the team. This is a team environment. It's not about the individual. And we do flip by by saying, you know, some players are worth a bums on seats player. Some players are worth going to pay the seats. So there is that kind of flip story. But like, how much, how much of, how much of sports folklore is down to these comeback stories, redemption stories, these backs against the wall stories? And the one in cricket at the moment, it's about to happen, is Steve Smith, Dave Warner, and to some extent. Karen Bancroft's return to international cricket. I approach these three completely different. And that's what I mean. But all, like saying that these are the narratives that will be told yeah. on on repeat and en masse for the next kind of fortnight. Well, the Harris one is really interesting because if you've read Sam Lane's profile of her in Raw, she is ve- this is and if you kind of have followed AFL women's, her going on radio and saying what she said to me was really powerful because normally She's not. She doesn't make a huge amount of public comment. She's no. a bit of a shake it off kind of character, which is what comes across in the profile. Um, so for her to make the comment that she made was incredibly powerful. But I'm sure that by the weekend she wasn't seeing it as a redemption story. No. Um, I, I imagine this probably varies from individual to individual. Like if you saw Jack Watts after the game, 
I don't necessarily know if he'd bought in, but I also think that his tumult was different because it was drawn out over a long period of time, over a long off season. So he would have he was w- waiting for that release of that pressure valve. So I think that they're very very different. The thing I find dangerous about these things, though, as as especially when they get published in mass media, is saying that the result fixes the issue. So because Taylor Harris won on the weekend and got her team into the into the into the grand final, she's overcome. She's overcome the troll. She's not proved that, the trolls yeah, well, wrong. Well, that hasn't happened. And it's like, well, no. It's not her job to overcome the trolls. It's our job to 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 get rid of the trolls. Yeah, I think it overestimates. And with Jack Watts, it's like, oh no, he's 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 his off season from hell is being diminished because they got one win in round one against a Barfield drinking Melbourne side. And it's like, no. But the looks of things, he could potentially have some very serious problems behind the scenes away from football. And football might be the, the only thing keeping him together. And yes, it's great that he got a win for his team, but it's like it's not an individual thing, it's a team thing. And so really there's probably a lot of shit going on behind the scenes that needs to be dealt with that's more important than him getting four points at Port Adelaide. And the same with Smith and Warner when they go like, oh, we've come back Though that was the worst quote of of the fortnight was when Smith and Warner came out and I think it was quite an, on an ESPN Cricket Info saying, "Oh, it's like we never left." But that's just blatantly untrue. Well, a it's untrue. And you Dan, were, you Breddy, were gone for you were yeah. gone for a year. Well, Dan Brett also tweeted the more realistic quote from Aaron Finch, yeah, which I thought was just the polar opposite of what actually happens. Like, well, we haven't seen these blokes. So yeah. We went and had a beer in a bar and it was kind of like getting to know them again. Yeah. Not exact, but that was the mood I got from the quad. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, these are the tips like, oh, it's like we never left. And it's like, well, then, then, then the culture hasn't been fixed and the 400 think pieces and the three excellent books are completely worthless because we're going to go back to cheating in you know, six years' time. Do you reckon they've read those? Surely not. Smith might have. Oh, I'd love to know. I don't know if I mean Davey's not the literary type, but yeah, I think that's a really, really, really important point. Yes, yeah, like so are these are stories I, yeah. dangerous for not for the athletes because I think they obviously know themselves. Like they're not going to be like, oh, so and so for the so and so publication thinks this is over now. Cool, I can go back on living my life at the hundred percent. Like they know what's going on, but I think for us and like especially when it's outside influences affecting people, and for two of those it has like what's yes made mistakes, but also the way that that story got about and how it was reacted to, a lot of those were external influences making it, exacerbating that story and, and inflaming that story. And obviously Taylor Harris's situation is all external. Like she's not at fault there at all. And nothing to do with it, yeah. So, and so when you say that, when you go the action and the game, it absolves the issue and it's like, well, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not a good story. Like that's a, that's a dangerous narrative to peddle. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. But we do, do we cling on to it exclusively because of Rocky films? I don't think Rocky films, but you see it in everything. You see it in like most documentaries about like you find, like that's how you find a good sports documentary is they come up against conflict and then they, and they solve that conflict, not usually by fixing their life, but by winning something. Okay. So my point, I would say with redemption stories, when they are just about the on field, so like you're not redeeming yourself from ball tampering, when you're redeeming yourself, I'm going to use Richmond, from a preliminary final loss to Collingwood. But that's a redemption story that actually can be redeemed on a sporting field. Yes. Like you'd lost to them 12 months ago. If they go out and beat Collingwood on grand final day, not only will it be the greatest day of my life, but like that will be redemption. But you know for a, you know 100% that if Australia win the World Cup this year but, that, and, and Smith and Warner are in that 11, that's a redemption story. That's written. It's written. 100% it's been like how Australia overcame their darkest days to be back on the pinnacle of world sport again. Like it will be written. You know that. By but okay, question. I don't know by who. Will the blokes that have written the books be will no. Gideon, Gideon and Gideon Lemon redemption. be writing a no, redemption story? Definitely not. <laughs> but there are plenty of other writers. I just yeah, and I think that's very much I guess maybe with the qualifier. And especially now and now that we have like the power of group thing, like if you have a Twitter handle, you have a publication essentially. And so when when it happens, like if it happens, that's that's what what people will be saying. Oh, it's great to see that they've redeemed themselves after their oh. terrible year out in exile. I just, yeah. No, I don't buy into that. I, th- I do think there are redemption stories that hold, um, but I don't think coming from a position of on-field or off-field sin is the right redemption story. Absolutely. And also you can have a redemption story where you do a long profile on someone and they've had you know, a, a really messy off-field life and they fix it up. That's a redemption story as well. 
David Swartz. And you can tell those stories, and they're amazing, and they're great, and they're powerful, and they're useful, and probably more useful because everyone can relate to that. Everyone's yeah. gone, he went through a bad, they went through a bad period, they've come out, and they've learned something from it. Are we into it because we need to believe that humans can be forgiven no matter what they do? Ooh, potentially, but... That's I, a huge question. I also don't think there are many... NRL and NFL players getting those redemption stories written anytime soon. No, and that's exactly right. I'm just curious as to whether that is one of the reasons that people, like, why, whether we'd, why we're drawn to that. Well, speaking of redemption, are you going Thursday night? <laughs> uh, yes, I will be going Thursday night to see Richmond and Collingwood. Um, and now, after this week, though, I'm very dubious about the, the quality. Oh. Like, people will be going there expecting a prelim repeat. We might be lucky to get a JLT game. <laughs> I, so I'm, I feel very similar, actually. Like I was very much up for round one, like but more up yes, for round two. To go, to go call back. So last week we sat here in this very room and you said, round one is the fans round. It's the best round of the year. It is not. And this is my argument. <laughs> this is my argument proved. No one cares about round one anymore. Or if the actors don't care, it's like a really bad sequel. So... Fans Week is oh, great. When you know you'll make money off it just by making it. Yeah. Fans like Week. The whole fans- Hobbit trilogy of movies. <laughs> fans-, <laughs> fans Week should be Grand Final Week because it's a celebration of the best of football. Look, that thought if made you, sense if to you, me you, last week. If you, believe, if you believe in Grand Finals, and not everyone does, because I sometimes you go, whoever finished on top should win the league. And you know what? That makes the most sense because otherwise you get chance guns involved and then people steal flags. But if you believe that grand finals are a good and beautiful thing and one of the things that makes AFL really, really good, then that's people's week. Because, yes, your team might not be in it. If your team is in it, then it's extra special. It's your week and people's week. But if your team isn't even in it, it's just, it's just so many football-related stories. It's all about that game. You, everyone pulls us to do the same thing. It's very rare in this world that we all stop and focus on one, one thing together in unison. This week, there's overlap of games. There's lots of things going on. None of it was very good. And we just kind of go, oh, like football's back. And if you're an absolute starved nothing, everyone's going, oh, how great is round one? But if you're kind of more measured fan, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. That's footy's back. You went, to, you went to Thursday or Friday night, especially Friday night, and went, oh, yeah, I'll have a few beers with my mates after work. We'll go to the bull ring. We'll go whatever. We'll go to the bar. And you go, that was fun. And the footy was meh. And now, now you're just back into that. You're back into the routine. It's a comfortable, familiar routine but it's not a celebratory weekend. No, that is a soliloquy. I'm so glad it's over. All right, this pod is also over, so we will catch you at the end of next weekend. Shout-outs to the University of Melbourne Flanagan. Excuse the pod cave. Shout-outs to the Yorkshire Hotel, the longtime sponsor of Sporting Chance magazine. Pop down there and get a pint. And if you are at a footy ground near me, let us know, and we're more than happy to catch up for a pot. Yeah, I'm gonna